0: Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult podcast. Tonight, the director of The Crow, Dark City, Garage Days, iRobot, Knowing, Gods of Egypt, one of the finest science fiction directors that has ever lived, Alex Proyas. Alex, how are things?
1: Hey, Robert. Thank you for the welcome. And and thank you so much for including Garage Days in my list of... uh, of, of of movies because it, it it doesn't doesn't get much love usually most people don't even know it exists so I, th- I appreciate it.
0: Well, it's it is a really underrated film. Like, can you take us through that? What was your inspiration to really just delve into into the Sydney Garage Band essentially?
1: I, I um I I was uh, in that w- world. For a very long time I, I um, when I was much younger, of course, um, I had a lot of friends in bands. I was kind of in a band we were kind of we were a band that just kind of got together and practiced a lot and and kind of wrote some songs and played very badly and we didn 't actually have a single gig you know, um, but we liked the idea of being in a band, I think you know um, and um, and so I just I guess that was my inspiration for that and I also spent a lot of time making music videos initially for friends and then I eventually got to to um to make make them for um quite uh quite successful bands and, and uh so that was kind of very much part of my my career trajectory as they say. And um and yeah, so I, I was always kind of inspired by that by that whole world. And and I love the idea of this I guess inspired by my own experience of this band that don't really make it, you know, but it's kind of I guess the message is you know, even if you don't make it it's still worthwhile, you know doing it um so yeah
0: well did you do heavy casting on that or did you know guys like kit gurry and and maya strange beforehand um
1: i um no we were just um it was kind of open casting i mean uh, some of them were um were uh already established like um pia miranda um was quite a a big star at the time and, and still is in australia she you know she made this this movie that made her really successful and, and really and really well-known. But I was sort of very much casting her against type that she'd played in in this other film, um, uh, Ali Brandy, the film was called. And uh, I was really casting her in a completely different direction. And so it was kind of a... You know, she was a really kind of, a, a, you know... A, um, uh, it was just the other end of the spectrum for her. but the all the others were pretty much, and I think Kick was in that film as well. He mm-hmm. was actually played a part in that film also. Um, but uh, no, all the others we just had a open sort of casting for and, and um we even read a lot of um you know non non-actors, a lot of actual musicians and and uh, tried to find people from all sorts of areas, but eventually um focused very much on. On most of them were established actors, you know.
0: Was Dave Warner attached to that project from the very beginning or did you bring him in a little later on to really bring that, like, Australian rock musician thing to the screenplay?
1: He was involved from a very early point. You know, he, um, he uh, I think he wrote the first, he may have even written the first draft with me. I think we, we co-wrote it. It's a while ago now, so I'm trying to, Remember the origins of it, but he was definitely involved from a, from a very very early point, and it was quite a different um, film when he first got involved. You know, we we um, we changed the uh, you know through many many drafts. So, so many of my projects end up evolving so much through the through the, the the development process. You know,
0: you've given us such dystopian worlds and such intricate, essentially science fiction. Did you think that twenty twenty was going to look this way when you were originally starting out in, in the science fiction genre?
1: No, he- hell no. <laughs> I <don't think> any, <laughs> of us, any of us thought it would end up this way. Um, it, what a bizarre year we've, we're, we're having, we've had, and we're having, um, no, of course not. Um, you know, I, I um, who could have, who could have predicted, um, And, you know, look, I'm still having a hard time, as I know most of us are, trying to kind of evaluate what kind of a world we are actually living in. It seems to change from day to day. I think a lot of the frustrations that that people are having, um, a lot of the people who are kind of uh, protesting the lockdowns right now, I think the frustration comes from the fact that you know um, state policy changes like the wind. you know every day there 's a new a new rule here in in Australia in Melbourne. We have some of the most draconian lockdown measures in the world um, that that are just starting to to lift at the moment um, and all caused by uh, the government kind of messing up the the the, the initial quarantine of the of the, of the pandemic. Um, um, so, so I think people are, are justifiably frustrated because we still don't know what the what the reality is. I don't think anyone knows what the reality is of what this virus um, is is uh, is is capable of doing, how how bad it is, how how um, transmissible it is. We just, you know, it seems to to constantly change, and so we all kind of, you know, have to struggle to kind of understand you know what uh you know the reality of what we're being confronted with you know
0: all your films kind of deal with a little bit of noir one way or the other are you surprised that you haven't really tackled a full-on black and white film at this point i know that you wanted to in the crow have you ever thought about revisiting any of your films putting it out black and white anything like that
1: yeah, of course. I mean, I'd love to, and uh, it's just that people won't let me. You know, the the as you as you rightly say, the the initial idea of the crow. You know, the crow was a, a black and white comic book, so and had noirish elements. And and I always thought uh, when I was first making it, wouldn't it be cool if it was actually really we we made it in black and white, and the only thing that was colour in the film was. Blood and fire. There were the two, the two prominent colours, and everything else was was monochrome. You know, um, and I think I pitched it to the studio, but that, you know, no one would let me do such a crazy thing at the time. You know, um, I, you know, I'd love to. I've made a, I, I, I make a lot of short films in black and white because I love that that medium so much. I just think it's a great medium to tell stories in. I don't know why, I really, think that, but I, but I do like it, and I think it's. Maybe because I have been so influenced by that that era of, of filmmaking over over the years, um, but yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd I'd love to do that. I have a uh, a film I've been trying to get made for quite some time, based on a Robert Heinlein story called "The Unpleasant Profession of Jonathan Hogue that's set in the in the forties, and uh, and it's very noir and. Um, uh, that would be a perfect one to to actually make in black and white. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll try again one day.
0: Well, would you say that noir was the biggest part of your childhood or what were some of the other genres and films that really shaped and, and made your formative youth?
1: Uh, noir really wasn't my childhood. It was more my influence a little later, actually in life, um, in my filmmaking journey, um, I was more uh, initially influenced by, well, science fiction and 2001 A Space Odyssey very specifically. Uh, I was a, you know, I came to movies and uh, science fiction literature about the same time. Uh, well, movies were probably probably a little bit earlier, in fact. Um, but um, they kind of seem very wedded in my mind. So I was very much, um, you know, in, in inspired by... by science fiction movies the you know when i was a, a kid in the in the 60s and growing up in the sort of 70s 70s were really my formative filmmaking years um uh i was uh you know there, there wasn't a lot of great science fiction movies i mean there was 2001 which was uh uh you know obviously a, a huge inspiration made in the late 60s and i think i've First saw that film in some in some kind of reissue form in the early seventies because I would have been too young to have seen it when I was um, when I was in when it was first released. Uh, but um, you know the seventies were a pretty poor era for you know they were a fantastic era for movies. Um, I still think probably the best era for Hollywood movies. In fact. Um, But for science fiction movies, they weren't really a great era. Not a lot of people were making... Not a lot of studios were financing science fiction films because I don't think they really understood the genre, you know. Um, I don't think they... I still don't think they understand the genre, quite (laughs) frankly. Um, But, um, you know, it it took Star Wars to come along really in the late 70s or whenever whenever that was released to really make, you know, studios, you know, notice that it's a genre that they could make money out of and therefore... A reason to make more of them, you know, which is the way it tends tends to work. Um, so, yeah, my my inspiration through that that for, those formative years was science fiction in literature more so than 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 um, in the movies, and me kind of imagining the science fiction great science fiction movies I could make based on the literature that I was I was reading. So I've got some great movies still bubbling around in my head for all kinds of stories that I'd read at that time, you know.
0: Well, when you attended Australian film school, what were some of the most valuable lessons that you learned from that time? Or have you really been trying to break all the rules that you were taught at film school?
1: I think my natural instinct from the very beginning was to break the rules. And, uh, you know, as a young, as a young filmmaker, you, 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 a lot of people tend to be that way. You learn, of course, um, as you get a little bit older and a bit more experienced, that you need to know what the rules are before you start breaking them, you know. Um, uh, So I didn't really know, I didn't really have that uh, knowledge at the time, and I just proceeded to very much try and disrupt the entire process as much as possible you know i the band that i mentioned at, at the earlier was actually a we were a punk band and so i had a pretty anarchic view of the of the world and and my my place in it as a as a result and you know a lot of the music that i was into at the time was pretty um sort of, uh, you know, was pretty disruptive in that respect. Um, so uh, I approached filmmaking very much in the same, in the same vein and uh, tried all sorts of things. And, you know, I achieved some pretty remarkable things, I think, at the time based on sort of not knowing what you shouldn't do, you know, and really trying to push the envelope beyond the breaking point. Uh, I made a, a film called Groping in the... In the, my first year of film school, that, that you know won all sorts of numerous awards and became incredibly controversial because it it was based around this uh, horrible crime that was committed in New York in the 70s or 60s, I think it was uh, a, a young lady, um, young woman, Kitty Genovese was uh, was brutally murdered and raped, um, and the the story was revolved around that 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 incident. Um, so it was extremely confronting and disturbing to people, um, and you know that's an interesting scenario where, you as a, as a more mature, more experienced filmmaker, you'd I would have thought twice about telling that particular story in the sort of graphic way that I told it. But of course, as a, as a young filmmaker wanting to break all the rules, you don't you don't really you know you, you, you know shock value is considered a you know, a, a priority perhaps, um, and so you, you go you go with it, you know. Um, but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a real believer in, in understanding the rules before you break them. I think that's something that's really valuable. And, you know, look, it's arguable how well any of us ever understand the filmmaking process. I mean, part of the appeal of film to me, and I know to many others, is that you never really get good at it. You know, you, you're always learning. There's always something... New to learn, which is why it's such an exciting medium to work in. You know, uh, so I think uh, we're all we're, we continue to be students of film uh, as old as the older we get. You know,
0: well, do you feel like that you have more control when you're writing, or do you really just enjoy getting behind the camera and letting the director's vision come to life?
1: Well, I like both, you know, and uh, I, I, I I pine for you know, the the other end of the, the scale each time I'm working on one end of the scale, if you know what I mean. I When I'm writing, I'm kind of... I can't wait to get onto the set and actually make something. And when I'm on the set making something, being frustrated by a compromise, I'm thinking how wonderful it would be to be sitting in a room of my own just imagining stuff, you know. Um, but I love both parts of the process for for very different reasons. And uh, I... Um, I I I I certainly like to like to film stuff, you know, and, and I, I I'm eternally frustrated at how long it takes between movies to um to get the next movie going before they're, they let you sort of you know stand on a movie set again, you know. So that's a that's an ongoing frustration for me.
0: Well, I know that you wrote the original screenplay for Dark City. How much? had it changed by the time that the final product came out
1: oh it changed enormously went through development of two two different studios um which uh it, it means quite a bit and um we um it was a much more dreamlike uh kind of um uh mood piece i guess um than than it ended up being and uh it became far more linear and narrative uh by by the end uh i couldn't i couldn't convince anyone to to make the the original script um it's interesting it's changed so much that i've literally gone back to read the original drafts um quite recently and thought well there's a whole other movie here that is actually quite (laughs) quite quite a viable movie to make and you know it, it would be uh, if you change the characters names you would never even know probably that it was the same uh the same the same script
0: well how did you think when that won the uh the bram Stoker award for writing
1: <laughs> yeah well look i you know being a being someone who's um inspired by by great writing over the years i i'm uh I'm a you know I'm a frustrated novelist and I and any award that's given to me for writing I'm I'm thrilled by of course you know uh, in in fact one of my greatest thrills was when they did the novelization of Dark City and some some author who does novelizations did it all I had, I had nothing to do with it but of course my name ended up on the on the cover of this paperback of the Dark City novelization and I'm like this is success. I've made it. I've, I've got my name on a book, you know, that's, (laughs) that's like the, the ultimate success for me, really, you know?
0: Well, I want to take you way back. Well, what do you feel like you learned the most from your time directing music videos?
1: Um, you know, look, there music videos were a great, um, fun era to be, to be involved with, particularly at the time, because, you know, no one knew, the record companies didn't know what a music video was supposed to do, really. You know, they all had their ideas, but it was kind of the formative years of MTV. And, and so, you know, they pretty much let you do whatever you wanted to do. So for a filmmaker, it was, you know, a, a time of experimenting and you could really try some stuff. And, you know, we tried all kinds of techniques and ideas that, uh, you know, would would influence what we did in the future. I mean, uh, you know, I always wanted to make movies, of course. That's what all, you know, all filmmakers want to do, whether they're doing commercials or, or music videos or anything else. Um, and, uh, you know, so I was trying all sorts of ideas and techniques, even narrative ideas. I was mucking around with those sorts of concepts uh, because I wanted to try them out in a in a, in a feature film, you know. Um strangely believe it or not uh, I, I made this mu- music video for crowded house don't dream it's over which was a very successful uh song and the video was really successful and that's what got me over to la and got me an agent and all that sort of stuff so i have a lot to thank for that particular video um but but believe it or not that particular video actually was uh, i was playing with ideas for dark city in that just in terms of the way the narrative was told and it was actually much more aligned with the um the original drafts of, of, of dark city. So, uh, you know, you'd never see it in a million years. Only I know that it's there, but it, but it was me playing with, you know, toying with ideas. All of my stuff is related and it all feeds into itself. And some, some of it more obviously than, than others, you know?
0: Well, you've got to work with some pretty big actors like the late Chadwick Bozeman, Gerard Butler, even Brandon Lee how involved in the in the casting process are you or do you really just want <laughs> the, the casting director to do their job and you come in later
1: no i'm very involved with the casting and it's usually arguing with the studio um cuz on those sorts of movies uh they're very um you know casting is a is is something that will either make or break your movie in terms of them financing proceeding to greenlight the film, you know. Um, so a lot of the times uh, the leads are, you know, uh, are essential, an essential part of that, um, not so much the sort of secondary characters, etc. but the leads are, are often ones that we have to have very prolonged conversations with the studio before we start making offers to people about who they want, who I want, um, and sometimes we agree and sometimes we don't, you know, um, it's about as much as I can say, look, I've been very, very lucky to work with some, some fantastic actors. We, you know, Will Smith, Nicolas Cage, um, uh, you know, brilliant actors and, um, you know, that, that was an, a, an occasion where we very much agreed with, with, um, who the lead should be, you know, um, and, uh. Uh, You know, look, to answer your question more specifically, it does change from project to project. Depending on the budget has a lot to do with it. Um, You know, Dark City, for example, was uh, a long process to cast. And, uh, you know, one of the sort of the deal breakers of the whole situation is that I didn't want um, a a well-known actor for the lead. You know, the studio one of Tom Cruise and wh- whoever was the the, the the big actor, the big star at the time. And, and I was like, I don't want that guy to be a famous face. I want him to be, I want, you know, Rufus's, Rufus Sewell's character to be someone who is a, um, you know, a, a, ostensibly an unknown actor, you know? So it took us a while to agree on that and to, and the studio eventually let me have my way so that I could, and then I could cast around that, that actor with you know with bigger bigger names at the time that were, that were um, could support their their, um, their their the video the video sales and the budget and all that, and all that sort of stuff. So it's a it's a complex process you know um, and uh, usually um, when I let the studio have their way I, I, I end up regretting it um, but sometimes I have less say in that than I than I would like you know
0: do you feel like the effects industry is keeping up to director's visions or do you think that they are a little bit further behind than where a lot of directors want them to be at this point in time?
1: Um, I've been frustrated with VFX vendors as they're called um, for quite some time. Look, some of them are great, you know, um, you know, Weta is fantastic. They're a great bunch to work with. Um, And I think particularly because, you know, Peter Jackson was involved with setting up the company, you know, and so it's kind of, it it kind of comes from that mindset, you know. But I think the technology is, um, has changed so much now that VFX are really not, uh, they're not an arm's length process. They are. They are. They're not like post production. They are production. You know, uh, it's all becoming one thing. You know, the filmmaking process is becoming one thing. I'm building a studio in Sydney at the moment called Heretic Foundation, which is a umbrella production house. Basically, we do everything under the one roof, um, from from prep to to finish. You know. And uh, we have our, our own dedicated green screen and LED stage, and we can do the whole thing. We can create the environments and use full virtual production to make the films. Um, and I've done that for because I I have been frustrated over the years, and and really, you know, VFX are not are no longer a post production process. You know, so the way virtual production works, for example, is that you build your environments first which is a vfx process you build them or scan them uh but you but you create create you know cg models for them and then you pipe them to the floor so to speak and you move move your camera around and it all speaks to the to the computer and and you know we come out the other end with a finished vfx you know uh rendered shot in real time you know So that's a whole that puts the whole production process and post production process on its head. It's a huge change in the way um, films are to be made, Uh, and so therefore, you know, a director like me can have full autonomy and full control of the entire creative process. Because you know what happens with you know the traditional way of making VFX is that you know you you shoot your stuff on set you have some kind of advisor there from the particular VFX house that's going to be doing that sequence and they take their the the footage away um, once you've edited it and sometimes they take it to another part of the world. Sometimes they're working, you know, in, in another country because um, these are, uh, VFX facilities are all over the world, of course. And then, you know, a shot comes back, you know, three or four months later and that's basically been your involvement, you know. Um so that doesn't work anymore. You know that's a that's that's a very antiquated model, and I think this new way of working, uh, um, enabled by the the simplification of technology, the affordability of technology, um, I think is going to completely change the way we make we make movies.
0: I remember that you had um, Paradise Lost and Amped on your on your docket to do. Are both of those projects completely dead now?
1: Um, well, you never want to say completely dead, uh, it's, it's, um, but yeah, more or less completely, like 99.9% dead, (laughs) I'd say, uh, those, those those iterations of them, you know, Amped was not really something that really had gone a long way, uh, but Paradise Lost is a a was a huge, um, loss to bear for me because we were in prep, prep for that for, um, over a year maybe 18 months, I'm not not sure, but definitely over a year. Uh, We had it all worked out. We had it all storyboarded. Um, We had a cast. We'd even, you know, scanned our actors and had them, you know, uh, being modelled and rigged for CG because it was was to be done done as a full CG movie. And, um, you know, they pulled a plug on me at at the 11th hour. You know, the studio basically got... The budget was getting a little uh a little uh, higher than they wanted but at the end of the day i think they just got cold feet conceptually about the whole project um uh and that was that was pretty sad you know and and look one of the you know that you know that's the sort of source of some of the frustration that i was talking about which is you know that entire movie was a big visual effects situation so we were reliant on digital domain at the time we were they were going to set up an offshoot here in Australia to do the film and the the budget overages kind of happened uh, I'm not going to blame them for them I mean that you know I've only only have myself to blame for budget overages really um, but but it certainly didn't help the, the again the arms length situation with the VFX on a movie where the entire you know, most of the film was VFX, so like literally, the budget was, you know, 120 million dollars come in to the production, and 100 million dollars go out to the to the VFX vendor. And you know, when you look at it on those very simplistic terms, you go, well, you've got to have full control. That's a whole other production that's going on without the director and producer's control, uh, hands on hands on control, and you just can't. We can't keep putting ourselves into that sort of situation as, as filmmakers. That, no, that model no longer works.
0: Do you find it easier to make film in Australia and be a little further away from the studio system that is America? Or do you actually enjoy making your films in America?
1: Um, look, they have their plus and minuses. I, I believe Australia is the best place on earth to make films for many, many reasons. Yes, having a little arm's-length uh, um, time zone shift from the studios in L.A. is is often helpful, although sometimes it's actually kind of a bit of a nightmare to manage because you find yourself having to make calls at odd hours when you really should be sleeping <laughs> uh, because you've got another another day shooting the next day. You know, they, they don't do that to me very often, but sometimes it happens, you know. Um so um, there's that as a downside. Uh, having shot a movie in Vancouver, which is obviously the same time zone as Los Angeles, there was no feeling of, of of isolation at all from the studios. They could literally come up for the day if they wanted to, and be suddenly they're on the set. You know, which which don't get me wrong. Some often I appreciate that that level, show of support, but often it's better that they just leave me to do my stuff. You know um so australia is great for many other reasons you know one of the things is is i think and not to disparage any any other crews around the world but but the 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 level of enthusiasm that australian crews have for movies is kind of um unmatched and it's partly because they don't get to work as much you know they don't get to do as many as many things you know they're not going to go straight off your movie onto another movie and they haven't just arrived from another movie previous to yours you know and I think so they they're, they're often genuinely excited to be working you know and uh, to me that's a that's a level of enthusiasm that I really I really do like I also think we're we're very good at making uh, a lot out of very little here we've often had small budgets to work with uh, we've've we've, um, we get technology passed down to a second hand sometimes and so we've developed a mindset that' that's quite that's quite clever about solving problems for with less uh, resources you know and i think that's um you know that's uh that's a really good thing too uh, so i do i do like it here apart from anything else i like i like living here so i do have a vested interest in trying to make films here whenever i can you know
0: well, what can we expect from you coming up?
1: Um, well, the, the, I've spent, spent this year in lockdown, with, along with with all with everyone else, um, and uh, <laughs> I managed to shoot this um, this twenty uh, minute film in my studio, which had, had was barely the paint was barely drying on the walls, and we didn't have all the gear that we needed to do it to do it properly. This was in February before we got locked down. And um we're still working on that film because literally i you know people had to flee i, I ended up being in my studio alone editing the film, uh, and my entire crew ha- you know went off to the to the four corners to to isolate um and it's been some time uh it was some time before we could get everyone back on deck they're back they're all back now where we're isolating and doing all the the proper stuff um and we're starting to shoot more tests and and trying to uh, plug everything in that so it's all working really well, and um, so that's you know that was that's really been my my 2020 is getting the studio up and running. But it's we're at an exciting point because it's all it's all working, and as the film industry slowly starts to um, lurch lurch onto its feet again, uh, here in particular, you know, in, in Sydney, we've done, we've done well touch wood, you know, where, where, um, it seems like we're out of the, out of the woods. I hope, I hope, uh, um, that's, that's the case. Um, and so productions are starting to, to come back online. So I have a, a, uh, a script called the new country, which is a, a project that I was hoping to shoot this year, until it all went, until everything went to hell, and now I'm saying I hope I can shoot it next year. Um, and uh, that's um, um, a sort of uh, a how can I describe it? It's a um, it's actually ca- kind of somewhat related to Dark City in in in, in its concept. Um, it's a uh, it's a science fiction story. But it's kind of a, it sort of involves parallel universes and, and time travel, um, so that's that's the one that I'm sort of most focused on. But doing a bunch of other things, doing a bunch of short short films in the in the interim to um, to keep myself uh, to keep myself busy, to keep myself on the set, which is, as I say, something that I that I really enjoy. You know, building is building your own studio is. Um, a great thing for someone like me because I can wake up in the morning and go. I really want to shoot a film, and I can, you know, not necessarily do it that day. I've got to, I've got to convince a few others to to come on the journey with me. But um, I can actually shoot stuff when I want to and and uh, make some short films and stuff like that. So I'll be continuing to do that up until the new country, which, uh, as I say, hopefully that will be sometime sometime mid next year. I, I would I would imagine.
0: Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. I consider you one of the most important members in the science fiction community and in film, in my opinion. So it really means a lot to me that you came on here today and I can't wait to see your name on the title cards once again, hopefully next year, 2022 or 2023, whenever it will be. Thank you again for coming on.
1: Thank thank you, Robert. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you.
0: Thank you for listening. Make sure to catch Alex Proyas and any of his upcoming work and if you've never seen, I don't know, The Crow, Dark City, iRobot, any of his previous work, the man is a true visionary. You should do yourself a favor, check out his old films. You will not regret it. This concludes our broadcast day.